Welcome to the Arrangers Podcast. I'm Aaron Hedenstrom. And I'm Drew Zaremba. The Arrangers Podcast is a show dedicated to insightful discussion about the art, craft, and business of music arranging and composition. Be sure to subscribe through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email us your questions at thearrangerspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. And on Twitter at thearrangerspod. Thanks for tuning in. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy 2019. Uh, Hello, everyone. It's been quite a while, uh, admittedly, but uh, we're glad to be back recording another episode of the podcast. How are you doing, Drew? I'm very well. Thank you. And for all of our listeners out there, thank you for your patience. We are finally back on schedule. Fortunately, Aaron and I uh, continue to chat from time to time, but uh, to make time for the podcast has been really difficult. And that's actually part of the subject of uh, today's episode. We just thought we'd catch up with y'all a little bit and talk about the different stages that uh, writers go through in their lives particularly when uh, a new phase of life starts. So that's what we're going to be coming at you with today. And we'll also answer an email from our our friend Niels in Australia and talk about what we've been listening to. But first, we have some uh, upcoming episodes. We have an exciting interview coming up, don't we, Aaron? We have an interview with the great Andy Farber, New York-based arranger and composer, and that's going to be an excellent discussion. We will also be at the upcoming symposium of the International Society of Jazz Composers and Arrangers. Yes. That will be in May. In Greeley, where I currently live now. So it's we're, we're going to be the big hosts for this wonderful conference, the first time it's been held outside of Florida. It's uh, Chuck Owens. Uh, organ- he's, he's the founder of the organization. And uh, it's going to be a really fantastic time. I forget, Aaron, are you, are you presenting a piece there or you, you have a poster that you're presenting? or? Yeah, I'll be doing a poster session, which is kind of like a, a show floor of different poster displays uh, on research topics. But basically, I'll be just displaying a poster that details my doctoral dissertation that's based on arranging. So um, it'll be fun. It's a dissertation paper that uh, dissects uh, Gil Evans' Sketches of Spain um, Chuck Owen's piece, River Runs, which a more modern example of a piece. And then um, I composed my own piece in the same vein. So I'll be presenting something there. And you got some stuff going on there too, right? Yes, I was fortunate to have one of my pieces selected to be presented at a master class where uh, I'll be getting feedback from one of the uh, esteemed guests. There's going to be a, an all-star cast of characters there from... Chris Potter to Christine Jensen, Darcy James Argue, and Vince Mendoza, the legend who doesn't make too many appearances with Big Band. The Colorado uh, Jazz Orchestra will be performing his arrangements and compositions at the final uh, concert. So it's, it's going to be a huge event. And what we hope to do is perhaps do a live podcast and do a lot of interviews with a lot of great people because it's going to be a big hang for writers. So uh, stay tuned. We'll try to do our best to cover everything that's happening. Yes, and I, I cannot wait for that. But also, that's a, a good opportunity to kind of 
encourage all of you, if you're not hip to this organization, you should join, become a member. Um, if it's you're free. Part of a, it's free. And then if you're part of an institution as a teacher or even as a student, you can recommend to your professors. They have like an institution membership that you can consider joining. So there's a lot of good stuff there. And there's also blog posts about uh, different arranging topics on their site. There's links to different resources as far as different competitions and things you can enter. Um, it's a it's a really, really great organization that's, as I understand, pretty in, in its sort of in its uh, beginning stages, relatively speaking. Yes, I think it's it's in its uh, maybe fourth or fifth year. If not more, I think this might be the fourth or fifth conference, maybe. Okay. Um, I, something like this. But uh, we love the Gen Conference, and we love everything it does. But what's what makes ISJAC special is that it's really for writers. And so there's a newsletter that goes out every month or so that has uh, links to a website that has great blog posts from amazing writers. Um, John Clayton is heavily involved. Maria Schneider's uh, involved. Um you know, a lot of the great writers alive today are part of this wonderful organization. So yep. there's a big plug for you, Chuck, and, and, and everyone. So <laughs> well, you know, for if you're our listeners. <laughs> if you're living within at least uh, relative proximity to Colorado, um, any pretty much anywhere in the United States, you can get there pretty easily. So you, I, I would even consider if you could make it down, you know, that would be pretty cool. Oh, my pretty goodness. Cool. Yes. Yes. Spend Not a couple days in the, the mountains. Yes. And it'll be an amazing hang. It'll be an amazing yes. hang. A lot of our, you know, I, I believe Rich will be there. And uh, Alan Baylock is, I'm trying to get him to come up. It's it's just a big hang. And so it'll, it'll be a great time. Pretty but, sure they have a um, Chipotle in Greeley, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, th- I hope so. No, they, they definitely do. There's one right by the school. I'm sure everyone's going to be eating there. Um, Let's get, I think we should get Chipotle to sponsor this podcast. That would be really something. Man, what's the connection there? Um, no idea, but jazz musicians but, love Chipotle. This is true. Yeah, jazz musicians do love Chipotle. That'd be so great to get an endorsement from Chipotle. Well, Anyways, I'm going to reorient this conversation uh, back. In fact, let's, let's bring it back to us for a minute because that's what we're talking about, how life can get in the way of things you love, like podcasts sometimes and the writer's life. But Aaron, what's been going on with you? I know you started a new teaching position at your alma mater, Eau Claire, isn't that right, in Wisconsin? Yep. How's it going? It's good. It's very good. Life has been pretty crazy. You know, so far in this podcast, we've kind of got more into the technical side of arranging or maybe sort of more of the craft. But I think it's time that we kind of opened up a little bit more about the lifestyle and kind of what's what are the challenges. And for me, you know, the balance of just having lots of balls in the air is just such a challenge. It's a, you know, a blessing to have opportunities to work in music, but there's a, a big responsibility there. So I started a, this new teaching gig, part-time uh, professorship at University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire um, back in September. And uh, like Drew mentioned, that is my alma mater. Before I went to North Texas, I went to get a composition degree at University of Wisconsin Eau Claire. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a great music program, just excellent, excellent faculty. Right. And so I'm just thrilled to join the team there. Fortunately, because I went to school there, the transition was 
a lot easier than I think it could have been if I if I hadn't had that experience. But you know, as is the case with any new job, there's always an introductory period where just things feel like they're just off the wall crazy, and that's kind of how this last fall was. I just <laughs> kind of got ambushed with it because uh, Drew and I actually were down uh, with a couple of our good mates in Australia yes, in uh, August we doing some performing and teaching in in Melbourne, and uh, that's right di- with Toshi directly, and, and that meals. was that was a blast. But directly after we got back, I started this new gig, and then uh, I started a couple other part-time teaching private lesson gigs at the very same time, and it was just an organizational nightmare. I don't know how else to put it. It was just an organizational just mountain to climb. Yes. Um, having to organize you know, spreadsheets and people's schedules and uh, all the newness of starting a new job. And it took me you know, all of the basically all the fall semester to, to get back to uh, ground zero, back to square one. So it, it was just crazy. Um, and then just trying to find, just fit in, like just arranging things that other people are, you know, expecting you to get done. Right. Because um, you're still continuing all of your professional activities. You had a number of arrangements to do for uh, Christmas shows and high schools and colleges and lots of things that you're still that you're still currently involved in, but particularly over the fall and the holiday season. Yeah, the holiday. I don't know. I don't know if this is the case for most musicians. I uh, probably, but you know, holiday season is just nuts. I mean, it's just yeah. there's just more activity and more. It's kind of a big burst to the, you know, it's a working to time. December 25th, and then it, and then it slows down. <laughs> yeah, but uh, even um, to even to New Year's sometimes. It, yeah, even to New Year's. But I feel like the time between like. Christmas and New Year's is usually a little more, yes, you know, relaxed, depending, I guess. But yeah, and then I, I traveled to Alaska for a couple of performances, and uh, right, right, and that was during the the earthquake, that uh, big magnitude seven point oh earthquake. So that was pretty, pretty wild. But uh, you know, now that we had a about a month off from school. And I'm feeling refreshed. So, yeah. Yay. And then, you know, add into the mix, I'm married to a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful woman. And mm. we have our two-year-old Hans. And it's pretty amazing being being a dad, being a, uh, a family man. But it also presents another wrinkle in, in just the complexity of, you know, having a busy schedule. So we're just kind of living the life. And, you know, I used to kind of feel like, uh, I can't wait till things settle down and I can just relax. And now I'm starting to realize, you know, there's really not much of a end to to this in the in the future. You know, it's just going to keep kind of mm-hmm. staying at a certain level of busyness. And so my job now, my goal is to just accept the lifestyle that is, you know, being a musician and just kind of accept that the hard work is just part of your daily routine, you know? Right, right. What are some of the things that they don't talk a whole lot about in college that you're experiencing and have experienced over the last six, eight months that uh, take up a lot of your time that isn't directly related to performing, direct contact hours of teaching, and performing? Well, um, I mean, I'm sure we'll probably have a lot of the same answers for this question, but emails, phone calls, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I get busy one day and 
don't have time to answer a lot of emails and all of a sudden, you know, three days go by and it's like, whoa, how did I get all these emails piled up? You know, people right. are, hey, yep. you know, can you do this gig? Uh, I haven't heard from you yet. And honestly, it's something I struggle with to keep on top of emails. And, uh, you know, if you send me a voicemail, chances are it's going to take quite a while before I call you back because it's just get, <laughs> I get really, uh, I just get sensory overload. And then, you know, at some point I have to kind of take a step away from all that and take care of myself too and, and get some rest and get some time with my family. And so I it just, I think having boundaries is really tough. And I think in school, um, and maybe this is rightly so, but in school you're kind of doing everything. You're, you're testing the waters in all these different things. Hey, maybe I like this class. Maybe I like that thing. Maybe I like this. Um, maybe I'll try a jazz band. Maybe I'll try a concert band. Maybe I'll mm-hmm. take classical flute lessons. Maybe I'll take a composition class. And you're kind of just testing out all these different things to see what you might be interested in. But once you get to the real world, quote unquote, the real world, uh, once you have the responsibility of being a professional and making a living well and doing your music on, at a high enough level to be, to get paid for it and to satisfy, you know, customers, clients, club owners, whoever, uh, students, parents that you're mm-hmm. teaching, you you can't just do everything. You really can't. Right. And I, I guess that's the one thing is that when you're in school, you kind of get this idea that, oh, I can do all this stuff and just keep doing it and keep doing it and stay up till three in the morning to do more stuff. And, and it's kind of the curse of being a passionate musician. You know, you just want to do it all. You want to do it all. Mm-hmm. And what I've discovered, and, and and I know that maybe there are people out there that have more of like this constant uh, workhorse kind of motor, and I think and I think it's different personality types. But I just find myself, you know, I gotta limit what I do. I gotta limit it to stuff that I can handle and that I can do a great job at. Um, and so that's tough because you know I want to do all these different things and I get all these ideas. So time management and having strong boundaries is really good, I think. And I, th- I think you do learn some of that in school, but it's much different when you're out, out in the, uh, the world kind of fending for yourself. You don't have that safety net to fall back on. Yes, you really have to be your own boss in a way that um, th- in, in school there's a certain amount of structure that uh, organizes your life. You know that this period is happening at this time. You have a boss of sorts, and that's your professors, your teachers, who are asking you to do this much work by this much time. And uh, that structure is gone uh, largely when you leave school because you are, uh, you, you create your own structure. And so I think what you're saying about boundaries and, uh, you know, staying on top of things organizationally is, is really critical to having a certain degree of success in the in the freelance writing or performing field. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. You know, I'll, I want to give you a chance to, to talk about this too, but um, while it's on my mind, you know, it's. I find that a lot of people I talk to, myself included, you know, the first couple of years after leaving school, for those of us who have gone to school, are a little bit strange because you have all this freedom and you don't have these uh, kind of expectations being put on you. You gotta, you gotta do a recital at this date. These are the pieces you have to do. These are the mm-hmm. requirements. You don't have that, but in a way, that's almost weird because 
you don't have a way of like measuring how well you're doing. You're just kind of like for a while, it took me a couple years now to like kind of get used to this idea that, hey, you know, if nobody's uh, approaching me saying, you know, hey, can you change the way you're doing this? Like, right. I got to assume it's going okay. I mean, but mm-hmm. you know, there's kind of this almost this empty void of like, okay, we're in the, you know, everyone's just living their life now. And it's, it, you know, you're not really able to, there's not that infrastructure of, you know, okay, I can kind of work within the system to get an A and that's how I know I'm succeeding. It's all like, you know, you might, you might just be making a solid living doing, you know, occasional gigs and doing some teaching or whatever it is. And maybe that's success. I mean, right. Um, it's just hard to know. You really have to be a good self-evaluator. Um, you're, it's, you're not going to have, yeah, your, your teacher's not going to tell you, oh, make sure you play a C melodic minor over an F13. You know, it's, they're going to say, uh, no one's going to say anything and you're going to have to listen to your own recordings and, uh, and determine, oh, this isn't working. Why isn't it working? And hopefully those are the skills that you got while in school or, um, whatever training grounds that you had and you're able to self analyze and diagnose the problems and issues so that way you can have uh, more artistic clarity and uh, if if that's part of your goal to have a wider audience Um, you know if you're not connecting to a crowd and not garnering an audience what are some things that you need to do differently to incorporate into your style your uh, writing or performance style to help uh, garner a larger audience, which can, uh, not that that's uh, an important goal necessarily, but uh, it might help uh, the financial situation <laughs> if, uh, if, uh, you, if you start to get a better following. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, some people call that selling out, and other people call it making a living. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's uh-huh. right. Yeah, there's always a balance there, and I guess it's... Uh, for you to decide, but um, before before I ask you about uh, about your fall and your your uh, situations that you've been uh, you know dealing with, I also just wanted to uh, I got to mention the the family balance of having a family. You know, having a, mm-hmm. a kid now, he's only two, but you know we we have experienced that. You know, just having children and managing a family it just makes life a little more complicated you know like i was just telling drew traveling and scheduling gigs scheduling rehearsals it's it's all more complicated when you have to think about who's going to watch your kid you know babysitters Mm -hmm. um when's his bedtime can i do a rehearsal here no because that's when i have to go put him to bed that's when my wife needs to go to the store and we can't just you know my wife and i can't just do things independently anymore one of us has to be there with our uh, with our son, so it's just it's a little bit more of a dance that you have to do with uh, just schedules and um, and fortunately, I mean it's awesome being a dad, so it, it makes it totally worth it, and it actually to me puts the whole uh, life you know situation into into a better perspective, so that you can have better boundaries. But it also provides that unique challenge that you have to kind of deal with day to day. So. That's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there, but, um, <laughs> no, it's that's all kinda, great. 
it's all you great. know i could i could go on i could go on but <laughs> but that's uh i think that's enough for now so sure. so drew uh you also started a new teaching gig um why don't you just go ahead and uh share a little bit yeah i mean i think we've talked a little bit about it on the show before when i first got the gig but um, I'm, I'm teaching, amazingly enough, somehow full-time at the University of Northern Colorado here in Greeley, about an hour north of Denver or so. And it's a, it's a really, just uh, like Eau Claire, a really great jazz program, well-established with wonderful faculty here. I'd say one of the best things about the job is, is uh, my, my, my colleagues um, Dana Landry is a, a great piano player and an amazing leader. Uh, really uh, puts the students first all the time, and and he and uh, with with him as some amazing uh, performers and teachers. Jim White on drums and Steve Kowalczyk guitar, uh, Eric Applegate on uh, on bass, and then a new jazz academic teacher, uh, Brian Casey who was a, a colleague of Aaron and I's at North Texas. So it's it's been, uh, I have some really great colleagues and I have wonderful students. Um, it's been a lot of learning for me and it's, it's certainly, as I've been telling uh, a lot of my friends, a lunch eater. The whole, you know, course prep in particular is, has really taken a lot of my time. Um, and then administrative emails and being part of committees in college, and I had to update my CV uh, very extensively in a system online called Digital Measures for uh, faculty review by the beginning of January, and I'm not doing too many gigs up here in Denver yet, but I've, I did a couple, and then uh, also other writing commitments that I had. So between teaching, uh, oh, by the, and not to mention, teaching a brand new course that I've never taught before. Uh, it's a, a survey of music business. So that w- that was really a lot of work and a lot of uh, preparation in addition to teaching private lessons uh, to in arranging to grad students and uh, teaching the undergraduate arranging class, which was a joy. Uh, the, the whole job is wonderful. Figuring out the balance and, you know, not only with my own uh, we're just a family of two, but uh, that'll probably change soonish here. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 been busy, uh, but good. So, what's been going on? So, uh, when you're you know adjusting to the the school thing, teaching at a university, what uh, what are some of the experiences you've had so far? I mean, obviously, it's a little bit different being on the teacher side of things than it is being a student well what are some of the fun things that you've enjoyed oh that's 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 easy uh <laughs> i've enjoyed uh, we at, at part of the unc faculty jazz faculty we uh every week we have faculty play so uh the six of us will just get in a room together once a week and play uh play tunes uh some t- we'll often bring in someone will bring in a new tune um, someone will bring in, uh, you know, standards or whatever, and we'll just get to play with each other. And even though we all teach and write, we're all players. And so it's uh, good to get that in our system, out of our system rather, and, and continue to develop. And, uh, you know, even I'm from California, but I've never been, I've never lived close to mountains as an adult. 
And so now, now I live an hour and a half from Estes Park, an, an extremely beautiful uh, park in the in the mountains of deep in the mountains of the Rockies in Colorado. And so Jolie and I have been up a number of times to do some hikes around some beautiful lakes and go up and around uh, a number of different places. That's been really fun. And uh, I'd have to also say getting to know my students. I have some really wonderful students here and they are uh, great people. Getting to know them and, and working with them on a weekly basis, like Rich got to work with us, has, mm. uh, has really been a joy, you know? It's like, oh man, I wanna do, I wanna be as, just as good of a teacher as Rich was to me. And, uh, you know, part of that is getting to know the students and uh, they're great people and great writers. And so uh, it's been fun discovering things with them. Uh, you know, sometimes they show me uh, artists and music that I've never heard of. And so that's part of the joy of teaching. I imagine you've had some moments like that too, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's a great, uh, it's a great thing when you're teaching. And I think college students especially are good at showing you some different things. You know, um, I had, a, I have a student that his, uh, his mom played violin in one of uh, Henry Threadgill's bands. No way. And uh, so I, I've been enjoying kind of getting to know some of that music a little bit um, through him and, and just uh, working. You know, he, he was, we were transcribing some of those tunes together, trying to figure out kind of what's going on. And um, mm -hmm. so that's, you know, it's, it, it, it's an example of just, you know, I wasn't uh, hyper familiar with Henry Threadgill's music, but I have a, a deeper appreciation for it now. So, yeah, definitely. Sure, sure. I I'm uh, I forget. Were you teaching an arranging class when uh, uh, yes. uh, this last semester? Yes, um, I taught an arranging class, and it was a lot of fun. I had fifteen students, and wow. they were all uh, very studious, very responsible kids. And uh, you know, it was it was really fun. I. I I found it to be an enjoyable challenge trying to take some of the classes that uh, that you and I have taken, Drew, and uh, kind of adapt it to the specific needs of the school. You know, mm. for example, at North Texas, the classes, I mean, they have, well, for undergrads, they have four possible arranging semesters you can take. Um, and then if you go to the graduate level, there's all these other classes. Right. But, you know, at, the, at, at our school now... Um, this is the, the arranging class. So I tried to kind of balance, you know, the basic stuff and then sort of get into other topics as there was time. But I, you know, it was really an exercise in prioritizing what's reasonable to expect in a semester of work. And at the same time gives you enough to work with if you're going, you know, into the arranging field and wanting to dig deeper. That's awesome. So what, Generally speaking, what topics did you cover then? Well, we started off with, you know, some of the basic stuff. I designed a bunch of like jazz harmony worksheets because I know that, you know, a lot of times in a class like this, 15 students, they're all going to have completely different backgrounds in terms of harmony. I mean, you know, Drew, you and I are both uh, piano players since we were younger. So right. we have a little bit of that harmonic background, but I know that a lot of students don't 
have that piano experience, don't have mm. that chord building experience. So I, I wanted to make sure that they were comfortable with the, like the vocabulary of, of jazz harmony, you know, just, just basic stuff like how to build a seventh chord, how to voice out a two, five, one, so that it voice leads. Um, so part of your class was really piano, jazz piano. <laughs> Yeah, or or theory, you know. Um, right, right. Which is yeah, it's all yeah, jazz theory, jazz piano. Yeah, exactly. So that's great. So that was cool, you know. You know, and I think what's cool about uh, teaching, you know, and creating your own materials is that you can have something that you don't have to worry about copyrights and stuff. You can uh, distribute to your students in the future. But one of the one of the fun things about the class was that. Uh, for the first half of the class up to the first arranging project, I had the, the students do everything in pencil. And it was just fun to see how they they rose to the challenge because, you know, uh, writing in pencil is very, very, you know, time-consuming and your hand starts to hurt. Right. It's, you know, trying to make it presentable and having to transpose things in your mind. And, and yet, uh, you know, I think it's a really, really valuable skill Mm. Um, to to uh, to go through writing stuff out by hand, transposing stuff by hand without using the software, just to hit the button to transpose. And it was fun to see, like you know, for the for the most part, you know, the students' projects were very high quality in terms of how they treated the process of making the manuscript legible. And, right. and so it was really fun. It was just fun to see that and kind of, you know, you could just tell the students could take pride in this, and it, and it was very. Uh, very enjoyable to watch, you know, because we we all have those light bulb moments where we realize how fun arranging is. Yes, like, like you know, you finish your arrangement, and you're like staying up till four in the morning, and you're just dead tired, and you you come you come to class and you bring your arrangement in and get it played, and then it's like, oh my goodness, those chords that worked, like I did yes. it, you know. Yeah, and I just I I think as as a teacher, those moments will never get old. It's just so fun to watch the. Uh, you know, that sort of reaction from students when they bring in their arrangement. So, um, yeah, so that was really, really cool. That's and then we just beautiful. got into, you know, we got into voicing stuff for five horns, but nice. Um, wow. You know, rhythm section writing, just the basic stuff, fundamentals of harmony and how to treat instrument registers and stuff. But, and you also did, did the same thing, right? Yeah, it was a similar class. Uh, in fact, uh, similar, the more you talk about it, the more similar it was. Uh, I also had yeah. my students do uh, handwriting uh, for the first uh, five or so weeks. Um, we did transpositions. We did, uh, you know, learned about the different instruments and wrote for the rhythm, did writing for the rhythm section, bass lines and comping patterns and such. And then we got into, yeah, voicing for two horns for three horns for five horns and uh how to uh you know do some passing chords and stuff like that so yeah it was a, a similar class uh, that's that's fun to hear that we're doing some similar things it's almost as if we studied arranging with the same teachers yeah it's it's like he really had a deep and lasting impact on us and the for and forever the way we're gonna teach this stuff <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you know p- the passing chords thing that's a good that's a good one um how do, how do you teach passing chords because oh, that goodness. was definitely that was definitely one of the biggest challenges i i ended up using the textbook uh that uh, they've been using here for a number of years and that's the wonderful gary Lindsay book mm. um yeah and he's got a really great chapter on it and rich has a great handout too of course 
But it's just a matter of uh, first identifying those passing chords, and more than more often than not, they're on the upbeats. Um, with uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and so once you identify where the passing chords are, you have a couple different options, uh, and uh, break it down into those options, which are namely a chromatic plating or a diatonic uh, movement or a diminished movement. Um, there's other variants, of course, but I think broadly those are the three main categories. Oh, and of course, uh, of course, the, what, how could I forget? Dominant, uh, you know, a, a five-one. So if you're in C major, a passing chord could be a G seven, or any substitute therein, or it could be diatonically moving up, like a D minor seven. It could be a diminished, which would be like a G seven flat nine, or a B diminished chord. Or a chromatic movement. So if it's going to another C7, C major chord, then just move every note chromatically into the next thing. Yeah, and that uh, it's not easy though. You're absolutely right. And but I think having that book and having Rich's handouts made it a lot easier to to go through that. But uh, nice. I ha- I we I also had a little bit of an advantage over here. We I didn't have to do as much of the theory and keyboard stuff. Although maybe I should sure. have done that, but because they all had to do that as a prerequisite to the arranging right, course. Because right. these, sure. are, these are mostly jazz majors. I imagine you had some education majors and, and other uh, folks in your class. Yep, ed majors, performance majors, composition, classical composition majors. So, right. yeah, kind of a mix. Yeah, um, but, uh, yeah, well, that's that's cool. Um, yeah, one of, the, one of the things I tried to work through with the students was passing chords like how it's really such an instinctual thing figuring out where to put the passing chords yes how it's it's kind of like it's tricky because the minute you try to find a rule for it all of a Mm. sudden it doesn't you know apply to a situation or maybe um you're limiting yourself to only doing it in that situation and so i you know i tried to kind of communicate that distinguishing which notes would be good for passing chords is kind of a a difficult task. It's kind of a difficult thing to discern because it does take some degree of judgment. Yes. Um, It's not like you can just say, oh, well, this is this. So it's, you know, this note is this of the chord. So it has to be a passing chord. Well, not necessarily. I mean, in certain cases, I would think so. But uh, for example, if you're on a C major seven chord, and the the note happens to be a D, you might say, okay, well, it's not a one, three, five, or seven, so mm-hmm. it's going to be a passing chord, which it could be, but it is the ninth, so it could be a major ninth with that as the melody. So it's, there's always a. It depends on the context so much, and so yes, that's, uh, that's that's something that it was just uh, you know just a task. It was a, a, a difficult thing to grasp, I think. But, yes. Yeah. It it also yeah. The, it really depends on what the rhythm of the melody is. Um, but yeah, you take a you take something like ornithology. The nice thing about that is, for the most part, it's going to be uh, the upbeats. So that guy would potentially be harmonized. vanilla super sax style <laughs> block, yeah, right. block chords baby yeah so maybe we should do maybe we could do an episode on passing chords that'd be a that'd, that'd be, be a, fun that'd yeah. be fun 
All right, well, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully that sparks some thoughts with you guys uh, listening, just in terms of you know what it takes to be a professional musician, some of the some of the aspects of life. I mean, obviously, you know, we could go on for days and days and days talking about this stuff, but uh, yeah. you know, if you if you have some things you'd like to share about your journey through the uh, process, feel free to email us at thearrangerspodcast at gmail um, might be fun if you have something to share. We could even discuss it a little bit at some time on the show. But it's really but, been a uh, minute, so it's it's yeah. it's good to catch up uh, with you, Aaron, and and hopefully you all have enjoyed catching up with us a little bit too. Uh, we look forward to producing more arranging centric content uh, as it relates to the business and uh, craft of arranging. And I think mm-hmm. with that, I think we have a, an email to answer, don't we? Indeed, we have a uh, quite the dilemma. No, we have quite the question from <laughs> our uh, our our great friend that we went to school with, uh, Niels Rosendahl. That's right. He is a fantastic tenor sax player, um, composer, and uh, also uh, I might add a very uh, a great guy. Yes, you know? and good teacher. Uh, he's, I believe, he's teaching. Oh no, no, he's yeah. in the, he's in the, uh, he's in the Air Force, the National Air Force Band in uh, Australia. That's right. Um, I act, when I was down there, I got to work with his band. Rich, Rich, and I worked with his band a little bit on some stylistic Sweet. stuff. Yeah, it was really, it was really great. Yeah. So uh, uh, thanks for writing in, Niels. Just a shout out to uh, to you there. He he writes really enjoying your show. From all the way down in Australia, listening to your podcast makes me feel like we're all hanging out again, as we were a few weeks back. Smiley face. Oh, I have a question for the show. We really have you... taken a while to answer this. <laughs> if that's a few weeks back, that's a few weeks back in August. So here we go. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> uh, I have a question for the show. Could you please discuss some techniques and approaches in dealing with large ensemble arranging, such as big band? in keys that create challenges in keeping the integrity of the voicing without violating low interval limits or sending the melody note too high for what's appropriate and doing so without having to change the key. Okay, that is a very uh, very good question. It's a challenge that uh, that we all run into. Uh, yeah, it, it really is. I mean... Yeah, my first instinct would be to change a key then, you know, if, it, if it's not working out. Um, but if we can't change the key for some reason, my, my thought at first is if the, you know, most melodies are between, you know, around an octave, have a, have a range of about an octave or an octave and a half. And so if we're, uh, if we're looking at a, a tune... Um, Let's just say, for example, Days of Wine and Roses. Uh, if it's not working in a particular register, then it might be better to change the instrument that is the lead voice. Um, and so, you know, instead of putting it, let's say we're in the key of F and we're... I think that's a really, you know, if, if you you wouldn't want to voice something underneath that because we're already in the tenor register and there's barely any room at all to voice underneath it, particularly when we take that those lowest notes of the melody. And so 
uh, the, I think sometimes unison might be the way to go. It's not a matter of uh, using harmony at that point because physics simply won't allow us to. And likewise, yeah, if it's too high to play, then it simply won't work. Sometimes there's only one or two good options if you want to stay in a particular style. I know I've run into that issue. It's like, well, there's only one or two solutions here. So <laughs> you get, you, 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 if you put enough limitations on uh, someone, then, you know, I bet, you, I bet Aaron, if, if you gave the same amount of uh, limitations to Aaron and I and maybe five other good writers, we might come up with really similar solutions because of the parameters of the problem. What are your thoughts, Aaron? My thoughts are that uh, that this is definitely a problem that you run into a lot. Right. And I think it's okay to recognize that there's not really a perfect solution necessarily because I think in in our minds we want there to be this kind of golden solution that just there's like a textbook that tells us how to do it. And we kind of, at least uh, speaking for myself, I almost feel the sense that there's a right way to do it and I'm just not getting it. But I think the reality is, hey, if you're, you know, going up against just physical limitations of range, you're going to have to find some kind of a solution. And none of the solutions are going to check all the boxes that you would like, I don't think. Because, you know, unless if you don't want to change the key, then you're going to have to make some sacrifices to stay in this key. Right, so if you're going too low, that means maybe you're gonna have to cut a couple voices out of the voicing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're gonna have to uh, make it a unison and not harmonize it. Maybe you're going to have to um, put more, you know, more instruments on a unison than you necessarily want to. So when, whenever you make a sacrifice, you're gonna be sacrificing something to gain something else. In my experience, and and so if you're reaching the high point of a trumpet player's range. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, if only I had that couple extra notes, I could get up there. You know, do you bring it down an octave and voice it there? Do you kind of reinterpret the melody so that it doesn't have to go up there? You know you... who you know who was a master of that was Billie Holiday, actually, Aaron. That was that's ah. a perfect thing because she only had like an octave range, and sure, a lot of the sure. melodies she if you listen to her sing night and day, she doesn't sing all those low notes. She she tra- she jumps it up and and makes it bluesy, and and uh, and doesn't use the written melody at all. She's making it work for her voice, and so uh, that's a perfect thing what you said. And so I had to jump in there and mention that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you feel like you're not, uh, if you feel like you're sacrificing something to find a solution, then you probably are, and it's probably just the reality of what you have to do. Um, mm-hmm. I always think about arranging and uh, orchestrating and stuff like that as trying to build a house on a terrain that's not exactly, you know, perfectly flat. It's uh. like, like if you had just a completely flat surface to build your house and it was just, you know, perfectly even with the ground, you know, you could just build whatever you wanted there. But if you had, say, you know, a little hillside that was in one part of your yard and then you got a little, uh, you know, a tree with some roots that are digging in somewhere. Um, you're going to have to work around those things, and you may not be able to do exactly what you want to do with it, but you have to work with what's there. You can't change the, 
you know, you can't change the tune too much or else you're not writing that tune anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, uh, I think just working around something and, and that's where I think, you know, creativity thrives is when you have limitations, limitations that just <laughs> force you to, to try something new. So for example, let's say you can't get any higher and you don't want to lose like the excitement of what you're doing. Maybe for that part of the song, you do like a drastic dropout to a low register and it, and it gets like almost surprisingly quiet for a second, like a bassy type uh, thing, you know. And then you could create even more excitement from the drama that's created by that change. And it's something where, hey, because I couldn't go that extra note, this really cool musical moment was able to happen. So I think just, you know, being resourceful and just, you know, alternate creative try, solutions. Try things. Yeah, try things. <laughs> yes. That's my approach. I just, you know, what can I do? That's what I ask myself. And then I just try it. Yes. And maybe it also means reorchestrating. You know, if you're dealing with the, if you can't go higher on the trumpets, maybe you don't use the trumpets there. Maybe you use the flutes flutes and piano and it's a different texture and maybe you that forces you to rewrite some things but between all it's particularly in a large ensemble you have a lot of options and so you can uh if something's not working try on a different instrument and most instruments have two or three registers and so between those all those different registers and colors you know a lot of big bands will play often sounds similar uh, and place similar things in similar registers. What makes Gil Evans' music so unique is that he'll put instruments in their oddest registers. He'll put trumpets low and trombones high and flutes low and clarinets in very strange places. Bassoon, he loves high bassoon. And uh, that's what makes the music sound so unique. He's orchestrating it in a really peculiar way um mm. that gives the in, that makes the instruments sound strained he he's quoted saying that he wants to hear the instruments in pain <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah so well you know uh that brought me to another thought about reorchestrating who's playing the melody like let's say you have a, a trumpet melody that's rising and you get to that certain point where you can't go any higher Maybe you keep the trumpet on a high note for excitement, but then you have the trombones two octaves lower playing it in their register. So you right. still have the excitement of a trumpet. You have the uh, melody in a, in a different register for a little variety, and everyone's kind of doing what they do best. Yes. Yes. Very, very much so. Passing it off. So, it's always a good thing. The other thing you could do is just write it you know too high and then just say hey play it <laughs> <laughs> higher faster louder and, uh, and if you mess up new, it's get your a new fault. trumpet player get a new, get a new trumpet, trumpet player. <laughs> boy all the trumpet no, players no. have unsubscribed from our yes <laughs> <laughs> no no come back come back please we need you uh, like us on itunes yeah right that um, that'll work oh okay well thanks uh thanks Niels. hopefully that gives you some ideas yeah, and hopefully for the, for all of you maybe having similar things that hopefully inspires you. Oh, feel free to always email us or uh, uh, like us on Facebook and leave a comment or with ideas that you have for the show or questions that you have or guests that you'd like to see on. We'll, we'll, we'll try our best. And as always, we don't have all the answers. We can just give you our best shot. That's right. That's right. 
Well, good stuff, Drew. I, I'm, I'm excited that we're back on this thing, and uh, thanks for sticking with us to all you listeners here. This is episode 21, so that's exciting, and uh, we're yeah. working on building a web page, and so we'll uh, keep you posted about those developments, too. Yes, our our hope is that we can eventually one day launch a Patreon, so uh, for those of you who really want to help support us by putting in a dollar uh, when we make an episode, that, that can go towards some of the uh, time uh, that goes in towards editing, and uh, we, we do this for fun. We, it's, we just love talking about arranging, and uh, we're just so grateful that people like you listen. Um, but, uh, but there is a real time and energy involved in the editing process in particular. And we, uh, we also have other ambitions, don't we, Aaron? Like, uh, writing books and traveling and, uh, uh, doing things with the podcast that will involve finances, won't they? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, we, ideally we'd love to travel and do interviews with people in places like LA and New York. Um, and right. other locations. We'd really like to build this into a kind of a community so that, you know, we have a little more contact with, you know, everyone who's involved. Um, so, yeah, it's just going to take uh, some time and planning, but um, we'll let you know when uh, when we have some of that stuff, you know, available to, um, to uh, be a part of. That's right. And so thanks as always for listening. And we hope to be on a bi-monthly schedule, two episodes a month or so. So thanks, y'all, for listening. We really appreciate it. And make sure to stop by your local Chipotle to uh, support their business and enjoy a delicious burrito on behalf of the Arrangers podcast. On behalf of the Arrangers podcast? We can't do that. There's too many burritos. Well, someone's got to eat them. There you go. Thanks, y'all. See you later. Take care. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to subscribe through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Email us your questions at thearrangerspodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to find us on Facebook and on Twitter with the handle at thearrangerspod. Happy writing and hope to see you next time.